Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio Podcasts. This podcast is focused on how Merck is successfully partnering with communities to support clinical research. From the 2022 Patients as Partners in Clinical Research Summit. For more information about the Patients as Partners in Clinical Research Summit, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars, please visit patientsaspartners.org. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. We're thrilled to have this opportunity to speak with you about how Merck is successfully partnering with communities to support clinical research via our iLab 53 mobile unit. As Katie mentioned, I'm Sue Manoff. Uh, I work in patient innovation engagement uh, at Merck. I'm here today with my partner and friend and colleague and friend Kai Boda, who uh, is in our di global digital analytics and technologies group. And uh, we also have, uh, we're representing today Lilith Mist, our colleague and friend Lilith Mist, who works in clinical operations. So here are our disclosures. Uh, we are employees of Merck, and the opinions that we express today are, are, are ours alone and do not necessarily reflect Merck's policies or positions. So during uh, our talk today, we're going to cover the topics that you see here. So Kai will cover the original vision for the iLive 53 and talk about the first use case, which is the retro study. I'll then cover a second use case, which is uh, supporting our COVID-19 clinical trials. Then he and I will uh, speak about some key interim learnings and next steps. So Kai, over to you. All right, uh, a couple things. First, if you could imagine me wearing a really nice blue tie, um, it took me about 15 minutes to pick up and then my shirt collar shrunk over COVID. So um, that was kind of disappointing. But um, yeah, no, it was actually kind of fun because I got in here and uh, Brie came up and she said, hey, Kai, and she gave me my thing. I was like, this can't get any better. And then my name was pronounced correctly, so that was exciting. And seeing everybody, I saw uh, Jeannie Rignati, and that's kind of neat because she was the first person at Merck that I met who had that passion for patients. And I heard about her. I wrote her an email said, hey, can we uh, just meet for a quick coffee? And she's like, yeah, and she came at tchotchke, she bought me lunch, she, I mean, she, it was contagious, you know, and it was five years ago, and I just, I still think about that moment, seeing her today, her here today was just really, you know, exciting, and, um, and seeing others from Merck as well has been really, really great. So today, I'm going to give a quick overview about the vision, some of, uh, that we had for the iLab, and then we'll talk about a little bit of a case study that we did and some of the feedback, if that works with all of you. And also, um, I used to get nervous when people were on their computers or phone, but then I realized they were probably Googling really good questions. So to impress everybody else, I see you guys out there. So uh, no pressure. So with that, the original vision. Um, I came in from into GDAT, and uh, this is Global Digital Analytics and Technologies, where what we do is we mitigate the risk, or try to, of introducing new technologies and solutions into clinical trials. And so we would hear challenges, and you know, my old manager, Lisa Shipley, came up and you'd hear about the fact that 75% of the population uh, lived more than two hours away from a study site. And you know, people talked about it and they said, well, a lot of different solutions. And I said, you know, that's kind of interesting and how could we address that? And uh, one day I came up to her and I said, hey, could I get a shipping container on West Point? And she kind of laughed and was like, yeah, you go for it. I said, I don't need anything. I just need to be able to say, my manager knows that I'm doing this. So. I went to find a shipping container, somebody who actually was in charge of the incinerators, happened to know someone who was in charge of the logistics, who happened to say, hey, does it have to be a shipping container? Could it be a 53-foot refrigeration trailer? 
And I said yes. And then all of a sudden, four days later, I had a 53-foot refrigeration trailer and a, uh, ship and a loading dock for about three months. We built the prototype there. And the idea there was, you know, we, we just wanted to test it. I wanted to build it out. I wanted to get that look and feel because we've all done that where it's like, I've read the PowerPoint. And it's like, oh, okay, that's great. That sounds, that sounds really interesting. And, but then when you get in it and you touch it and you look at it and you feel it, and you're like, this is really great. Hey, guys, is this the treadmill from your house? Yes, it is. Um, and, but we decked it out completely. And the idea was that more people that saw it, they started to kind of say, oh, you know what? Have, have you thought about? What do you reckon? And they'd add on to these other ideas. And then we're asked, hey, would you mind doing the next prototype for that? And then we realized, you know, I got some really valuable uh, feedback when we were at this big tech symposium, and that was, hey Kai, um, you might want to put in Windows because this is super creepy. And that led to us building the iLab itself, which was a 39-foot, there it is. It was a 39-foot um, Winnebago that we bought down in Georgia, brought it up and had it refitted, and this is the inside of it. And um, we had a, we decided to use it in our first study, which was called a retro study, which was a rapid evaluation of technologies. Um, and what we decided was, could we do this completely remote and then by going into, you know, New York City? Because if you can do it in New York, you can do it in a busy city. You thought I was going to say something else. Um, and so I decided to do that. And what we did is we, this was for a study where, which I'll discuss in a second, where we thought if we could go in with both patients and with care partners, you know, that would be a little bit different. What if we interviewed them before and after the study? What if we actually just put not just one or two or three, but 10 devices? And we got, you know, 120 different, you know, data streams coming in. So we decided to push that. And what the idea here was, it was a non-interventional study. We ended up being able to use the iLab and to engage and successfully engage with participants in a different way. Um, now, we heard, you heard about, I think, Lily doing this as well. This is, you know, and that was really interesting to hear, you know, the way that they're approaching it. But what we did is we started to take this. It took a little while for us to get up to speed. But, you know, you, you know as we all know, we're getting that buy-in. And sometimes that's, you know, it, building a, asking if you can buy a Winnebago and get, you know, learn how to drive an RV. Um, is not the easiest you know, thing to get you know, passed over. So with that, real quick, we'll go over this and we'll study the iLab here. This study was an eight-week non-interventional study. It was two in-person visits with five virtual visits, and then we also had them go before and after their experience, and then we would be able to get the feedback inside the uh, iLab, or in virtual visits as well. So this was a couple, you know, um, first for us. And so the feedback that we got, though, that so far in the study was that the iLab made it really easy for patients to participate in the study. They felt like they would be definitely make you know, the conditions uh, that it would be desirable to be in another study in the future. And they just said, you know, this is not creepy at all, um, which was a check. And um, we thought that they could come in and that they could actually feel that we could park outside their home. We could park in New York or we could park down in Little Havana or Naples or in Mesa, Arizona, which leads us to our next study. Ah, you always change it. So, so thank you, Kai. And last summer, Kai and I recognized that we could use the iLab 53 to support some ongoing COVID-19 clinical trials that we were performing. And this was because the mobile unit allowed us to bring our trials directly to underrepresented people 
and, and communities so we could meet people where they are, minimize enrollment barriers, build trust, and develop partnerships. To this end, our unit staff were diverse, culturally aware, and able to speak the community's preferred languages, and you've gotten the hint that those were Spanish and English, and we utilized health literate communications in those languages. So we felt it was important to situate the ILAB 53 where people were likely to meet enrollment criteria for the trial, at least had an increased likelihood of meeting these criteria, and so that became very busy COVID testing sites. And we focused on locations where we would uh, deploy the iLab based upon data, needs of the communities, and opportunities to partner with community uh, organizations and other community leaders. And based on all this information, we successfully, successively and successfully deployed in three communities. And Kai already told us what they were. So they are Naples, Florida. Uh, they are uh, the Little Havana neighborhood of Miami, Florida, and Mesa, Arizona. When, the, when it was deployed, the iLab had the specific tasks that you see here. So uh, the staff increased awareness of clinical research. This was important because many of the people that they engaged with had limited knowledge of clinical research. They uh, told folks about the COVID clinical trials. And for those who expressed interest in learning more uh, um, and perhaps being, uh, seeing if they were, might be eligible for the trial, uh, the staff identified and pre-screened those people. And if they were still interested and they pre-screened as potentially eligible, uh, they, the staff then connected those folks uh, to, to people at nearby research sites. Most importantly, because this trial was being, uh, because the iLab was uh, situated outside of COVID testing centers, the trial was presented to potential patients at an as an option at a relevant moment for them. And that was very important to us. So in deploying the iLab uh, in support of the COVID trials, we had the objectives and assessments that you see here. So from the objectives perspective, we wanted to pilot the iLab in partnership with communities and clinical sites. We also wanted to, to cultivate internal collaborations across different functional areas uh, within Merck. And most importantly, we wanted to gain real-world experience to assess, assess the feasibility of deploying a unit like the iLab in support of active uh, ongoing clinical trials. We also pre-established certain quantitative and qualitative assessments. So we, most importantly, because I mentioned that the, the key um, output of this work was to have educational discussions on clinical trials, we wanted to know how many of those discussions actually occurred. And we also wanted to know, and we followed a number of folks who were pre-screened, any who were referred to the site, and any who were randomized. Very important to us was the qualitative, qualitative assessment. So did we establish partnerships and, and who were they with? And these were internal and external partnerships. And we wanted to get feedback from our partners. How did this go? How did we do? So here's what the iLab looked like uh, deployed. To the left, this was one of our staff members uh, inside the iLab. You can see this was a professional environment and was able to support uh, uh, private conversations with patients and other uh, community members. To the, uh, on the bottom row in the center, you can see that the iLab actually deployed uh, in, the, uh, in uh, Naples, Florida. You can see there's actually, there's a couple of signs at the end of the unit, on the side of the unit, they're in English and Spanish, um, telling people that the, the study is here. Uh, we have a, a, an awning deployed, and underneath the awning, you can't see it, but there's a TV screen that played educational videos about clinical trials. Uh, you can see on the upper right, the back of the iLab, uh, where you can see there's a sign interested in a COVID-19 clinical trial, learn more here. Under that, English is Spanish. That's uh, now um, obscured by the people standing in front of it, but the Spanish is there. 
To the lower right, what you see is, our, is the site in Little Havana. The tent that you see to the left is actually where the clinical testing was done, the COVID testing was done. And so you get a sense of this picture was taken from the sidewalk, the distance uh, from the sidewalk to the testing area. In the, center, in, in the center on top, you actually see now um, the line of people from the sidewalk going into the, the, the clinical testing site. And there are so many people, there are often uh, 1,500 or more people a day that came through. So those lines could be uh, around the block or zigzagging or in, across the available space. To the right, you see the, the, the iLab. So you can see that people who went into the clinical site were, or, or into the testing site were actually in front of the iLab. So most important to us was what feedback did we receive from our community partners, and so here's, here's what they told us. The Salvation, the Salvation Army leader, so the leader of the Salvation Army where this testing center was held in Little Havana, liked what we did so much that he offered to serve as a reference for the ILAB 53 with other uh, potential community partners. And the constituent services leader who partnered closely with us, uh, this is what she said. She said she loved it. The ILAB 53 was where it was needed the most. It was a very positive experience. I hope we can repeat it. And, and music to my ears and Kai's ears was when she said we want to build on this positive relationship. So he and I have an objective of, of continuing to work with these folks, understanding what they see as their needs from their perspective and seeing if we can't explore developing an initiative that actually responds to, that responds to their needs that they, that they uh, identify. So in terms of key interim learnings uh, from the COVID-19 trial perspective, this, the ILAB 53 was effective as an educational and pre-screening channel and helped to build strong partnerships with diverse communities. And Kai, back to you. Sure. So um, if there's questions, by all means ask. Otherwise, I'm going to use all three minutes and 40 seconds. Um, you know, first, for the ILAB itself, I think it's really important to be micro-ambitious. You know, I, I came in and I said, oh, look at all the things we could do in East Africa. Look at all the things that we could do, you know, across the states. Look at what we could do. And it was like, wait, stop, roll it back, because all of a sudden people were saying, oh, so you're going to do all clinical trials out of a mobile unit? And so that was my one thing, is to kind of be micro-ambitious and celebrate some of those stage wins as well. The other one was be generous. I think, you know, had Sue not come up and said, hey, by the way, I know someone. What do you think if we come together and, you know, this could be used for the COVID trial? It wouldn't have happened. And so really, I think, really, Jan and Sue and Mary and, you know, Luther and others who we presented to, they were very intellectually generous and would come back and say, hey, what do you reckon? And then we talked to other groups across Merck who also, and I, you know, were generous. And I think when you try to own it yourself because you, you had this idea, you're just going to fail, you know, and you probably should because you're being greedy. Um, but I think that when you kind of share it, people will build and bend and build on your ideas. And I think that's really exciting. And now when I go through West Point, I have the Teamsters, who are the drivers as well, waving their hands and saying, Kai, someone's been messing with your iLab. You know? And there's something exciting about that because they painted the warehouse and the loading dock because for me, because they said, we know you can be bringing important people here to see this. And they were, that's real engagement when people can see that and get excited about it. So for the retro study, we did prove that we could stand alone. We did prove that we could go, you know, anywhere we wanted to with it. Um, and really, I, I think for us, we're trying to think about what's next. And so the participation and the retention and the reaching out to caregivers as well, because we, we all know that the caregivers have to often take the day off work, then they have to drive into the city, and then they have to be there, and then they have to come back, and they, you know, and you know, the burden on them is significant. So anything that we can do to take that burden back, you know, or at least alleviate it a little bit, you know, is really meaningful. Um, 
And so really the stakeholder feedback was I think now looking at what's the next one, because we did it for one trial, then we did it for a second trial for COVID. Now people are saying, well, what about the next one? And um, you know, there's several things. I think also having that hands-on experience, learning how to drive it, I can tell you how to build it, I can tell you, you know, how we use it, but we say, well, do we want to share that with anybody? And yes, we do, because, you know, we're going to win on our molecule, not on the iLab. And so the patients will win, and this will become something normal, and everybody will benefit if, you know, everybody was doing this. So when I hear Eli Lilly doing their approach with, you know, 15 or 20 uh, labs, that's wonderful. And so if others are interested, please do ask or challenge what we're thinking. So in the last 50 seconds, does someone have some really great questions? And I like the nods, by the way. That's really reassuring. I appreciate that. So, you know, I just, you know, when you're up here, you get really nervous and you're like, it's Friday. Are people like, uh-huh. So are there any questions? Oh, perfect. Uh, Hassan. I'm not going to leave you hanging. <laughs> and I didn't plant it. Uh, so great presentation. Thank you. Have you thought about long-term, is this something that Merck wants to potentially continue doing or partnering with a third party that, that it becomes their specialty to deploy, not just in the U.S., but worldwide? So there's, you, that's a great question, because we either do the internal or the external option. Do you do the internal? Like, I think Lily has done a great job, you know, with that, but they have to run it all themselves. Or do you go the external, because there are vendors who have multiple labs, and so when, you know, someone dents the iLab, that happened, um, or somebody you know does something, you have to fix it, right? The benefit of think internally, you know, we can talk about expense and that, but is the fact that you had that mobility. We went from Miami. We said we want to change. We want to go to Mesa, and so we did it. From the time that the person came into the iLab to the moment we were set up in Naples was five weeks. All right. I mean, I, I have trouble getting an NDA signed in five weeks. But that was because everyone came together and everybody had skin in the game. So we're looking at both options. Probably if, if we do it, I would guess, but not here, maybe a hybrid approach because it's not, you know, one fit. So, do you have anything? Sorry. Hi. I just wanted you to talk a little more about the um, sites that you identified, the Salvation Army and the other site. Like, how did you go about identifying them and did you build the relationship way before you put the lab there? This how is did such that work? a great question. Sorry, please. Is that, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, please. No, because th this is what we have with, <laughs> you know, Sue and, you know, Jan and that team, the chief patient office, it's 100% their relationship. Do you want to talk about that? So that's a really good question. And uh, we did not originally have a relationship directly with the Salvation Army. What we did have was pre-existing relationships with other community partners who were very familiar with South Florida uh, and, and introduced, introduced us to the Salvation Army and to the constituent services leader uh, for uh, the Miami-Dade County, uh, sorry, for Little Havana, and that began the relationship. And that's why you know, I was so pleased to see how happy they were with how this worked and how, how we want to now partner with them and co-create, if we can, a solution that meets a specific need that they may have. Thank does that, does that answer your question? Yeah, I was just curious. I'm like, how did they do that? No, they so, so when, you know, I'll be honest, um, you know, not why I wasn't being honest before, um, but <laughs> to be honest now, even more honest, when we were going out to Arizona, that was a key challenge for us. We partnered with um, a pharmacy at the end, but getting everything kind of set up, you know, but, and building those relationships, you, know, you think that wouldn't be a huge challenge. You'd think dri Kai driving a 39-foot RV might be, um, but because I'm not a good driver. 
Uh, but I think that, um, that, but you know, really getting those partners who really want to come in and then they kind of get involved and it's super exciting. So any other Thank questions? You. Oh, I'm getting cut off. For another question, but I know we'll find ways to reach you if we have them. Fantastic. Fantastic. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. For more information about the Patients as Partners Summit, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars, please visit patientsaspartners.org. Thank you.